Welcome back to Better Than a Pill. Today, I am super excited to have Dr. Laura May on as a guest. And Dr. Laura is a Amazon number one international best-selling author. She's an advanced practical clinical pharmacist, a functional medicine health coach, and she really focuses on identifying and addressing the root causes of disease and she wants to empower all her patients to take an active role in their health and create lasting change. So welcome, Dr. Laura. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So I know that today we're going to be talking about type 2 diabetes. And I thought that I would pick your brain a little bit and ask you, you know, since I know you're seeing a lot of clients and patients with type 2 diabetes, have you had any personal experience with this? My uh, maternal grandmother was an insulin-dependent type 2 diabetic and died of the complications of that. And when I was in my mid-30s, they, um, they meaning the physician I was seeing at the time, um, told me that I was showing signs of um, glucose intolerance. So that's sort of what perked me up. It was part of my healing journey. Um, I said, looking back on it now, I think it was just part of the cascade of inflammation that was going on in my body. Because at that time, I was having really regular um, chronic migraines. And um, my IBS was in full swing of, you know, flares. So um, I think that was just part of it. Uh, now my glucose is great. <laughs> but yes, um, I do have some personal experience, both direct and indirect. <laughs> awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good that everything's under control, but I, I thought that might be something driving you and that makes sense. And mm -hmm. so what, um, let's define, some people listening may not really understand what actually is type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is an insulin insensitivity. So your your body has become not as sensitive to insulin as it should. So we call that glucose intolerance, but it's really a dance between the glucose and the insulin. And insulin is a hormone. So you could also really call it a hormone imbalance. Um, so when your body has been constantly or for too long overwhelmed with too much glu glucose circulating through the bloodstream, then your pancreas should be responding by pumping out insulin. Insulin is that hormone that grabs the glucose to either put it to use, put it into storage, which it turns into fat or, you know, so those are the main two avenues. And so if you have enough in storage, your glycogen stores are full and you're not using it enough then it's just, it just floats, you know, it just circulates in your bloodstream. And that's what causes a lot of these downstream consequences of diabetes, uh, neuropathy, the, um, you know, the going blind, the kidney failure, a lot of those things are because of, it's just, if you think of, you know, a teacup and, you know, you can, the teacup can only hold so much glucose. And if it's just overflowing, then, you know, then now you have a big mess on the table. And that's sort of what happens in our body. I don't know if that's the best analogy, but um, yeah. Can I also go back to what you said? What motive? What's motivating me about this 
the diabetes piece of my practice. So sure. I did it, um, you know, it, throughout my journey of both my own health and healing journey, but also as a practitioner, I didn't originally gravitate towards diabetes or, you know, um, glucose intolerance or pre-diabetes, if you want to call it that too. Um, but it was around the time of COVID when I was working in a hospital as a clinical pharmacist that I just saw so many people um, that if you they had a pre-existing diabetes and or if they were um, glucose intolerant, younger, but overweight, then they were at much higher risk of having either a really hard time with COVID, uh, meaning symptom-wise and recovery, and or you know, they had a higher rate of mortality overall. Wow. So, um, and to me, this area of our health is so preventable. And it was frustrating as a practitioner to see what we were telling our patients and the families of our patients about diabetes and, and how to manage it and what to eat, because in my opinion, it's all wrong. Um, all of that comes from big pharma, big food, um, you know, the FDA, the ADA. So our government in conjunction with those industries. So am I surprised? No, but it's something that's preventable. And that's sort of what motivated me to take my practice in this direction. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's really important. I'm so glad that you, that you shared that. And so when it comes to like becoming, let's say even pre-diabetic or, you know, headed towards that type two diabetes, knowing that it's preventable, it, it seems like elevated blood sugar from what I'm hearing is, is kind of a determinant. Like if you have your, your blood sugar starts to rise and, and, and not being able to, um, you, do anything with all this excess glucose, right. That we have. And hmm. so what is it, you know, like, how can we prevent that? Is it cutting back on like the sugar or, or it, you know, kind of help me understand, like, can somebody cause themselves to have um, diabetes, type two diabetes? We can definitely take ourselves in that direction for sure. Uh, one of the things from the functional medicine perspective of this process that we test for is an insulin level. So what are your insulin levels? So, you know, um, in the Western sphere of things, we look at your HbA1c, which is an average of your blood glucose over three months. And we look at your fasting glucose. And if you have two fasting glucose uh, pretty, you know, consecutively over 126, then that usually buys you a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes um, or an HbA1c greater than um, 6.1. So, um, but in the functional medicine world, we look at some other things too. So we want to see like how much insulin is circulating, how much insulin is your body pumping out? Because maybe your numbers are borderline, maybe you're not full-blown diabetic yet, but they've been creeping up. And so if I have a client that comes to me and they usually what I hear is, well, my doctor said, you know, I'm headed down the road of diabetes or, you know, I'm pre-diabetic and I don't want to be. I want to stop it in its tracks. How do we do that? And so I look at the insulin because maybe your body is already doing, you know, the pump, pump, pump with that insulin, trying to stay ahead of the game because that it's just a really telling thing that we can look at. Um, but to answer your question more directly uh, is what do we do about it? How can we prevent it? It's multifactorial. Yes, food. Food is number one. Um, and 
I look at not only refined sugar, but the total carbohydrate load overall. So what kind of carbs are you eating? How much are you eating? How are you um, moving and exercising daily? How much are you burning? So, you know, looking at that balance and then looking at the balance of macros. So what is your fat and protein intake as well? And really honing in on that and creating more of a not keto, And, you know, depending on the person, depending on where they are, maybe not even like classic low carb, but I'll definitely like, we'll take a step back and we'll look at, okay, how many carbs are really in the picture? What can we eliminate to help your body start to recover? Because that's the other thing too, is when our body is in this constant state of inflammation, then it almost can become like that snowball rolling downhill that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, it has more momentum and it's harder to stop. And so I want to also look at how often are you eating? Are you eating every three hours? Are you keeping your blood sugar elevated? Because someone along the way, or you've heard through the media that eating every three hours is good for your metabolism and help keeps it up. Um, That's a myth. We don't want to do that. (laughs) We want to allow our body to rest and digest. And that actually includes, you know, periods of fasting, even if it's just a, a period of eight hours, you know, from that last meal of the day to when you first wake up in the morning, that, you know, giving your body enough time to really rest and digest have your stomach empty out completely and allow that food to work through your system. So you're not constantly dumping food in or forcing your pancreas to respond. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. So I, so a couple things come to mind. Um, and I just use myself as an example, as I've worked with a naturopath, you know, naturopath before, and they want you to eat like more like three meals, like a breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Now that doesn't work for me. And I'm here to tell you that I need to have a little snack mid-morning and I need to have a little snack mid-afternoon. That's me. That's 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 what works for me. If I don't do that, it's worse. And so what are your thoughts on that? I'm not opposed. I'm, I, you know, one of my core principles in my practice and my approach is bioindividuality. So okay. absolutely. But what we look at with those snacks is what are they? What are they composed of? How nutrient dense are they? Because a lot of times when our body is sending the hunger signal, it's dehydrated or it's searching for a nutrient that it needs to perform some sort of process in our body. And we don't often think about our hunger signals as our body, you know, telling us, we just think of like, oh, we're hungry, but why, why, why is our body telling us to eat something? Well, we receive minerals and nutrients, cofactors, enzymes, all the things through our mouth, through either eating or drinking. And so our body has created this signal called that we call hunger to provide itself with the tools that it needs for the building blocks of all the other things that our body does. And so One of the baseline things that I do with every patient is food sensitivity testing, nutrient deficiency testing, and toxic burden. And so it's, I think, you know, very telling to look at that nutrient deficiency testing and see, okay, do you need more um, selenium, zinc, magnesium, iodine even? 
uh, because a lot of my clients also come to me not just with complaints of glucose intolerance or prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, but, you know, maybe their thyroid is, they're already on some sort of um, synthroid or, you know, pharmaceutical supplement or, you know, they're having symptoms of hypothyroidism. And, you know, um, I was taught that, you know, we look at the hormone system within the body, sort of like a three-legged stool. We have the sex hormones, we have the stress hormones, and um, I'm forgetting the third one. <laughs> anyway. It's okay. It will come. <laughs> oh, the thyroid, duh, what I was just talking about. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so if any, you know, you have the three and, you know, your stool might get a little teeter-tottery if one of this, you know, legs of the stool gets a little weak. So let's say that your um, insulin, you, you know, we're talking about glucose intolerance. So like your body is showing stress on this side of the stool or triangle, but you let it go long enough and it starts to affect the others. So then maybe the next one that, you know, shows up for you could be thyroid dysfunction, or it even could be um, estrogen imbalance, progesterone. Uh, a lot of these things show up for women as they move through premenopause and menopause because it's a change. It's not uncommon that if this stressor has been present long enough that it can cause downstream, again, downstream uh, consequences. So, um, you know, providing the body with selenium, iodine, zinc, those are great thyroid foods. And a lot of people can start feeling better just by bringing those nutrients back into their body and to levels that are therapeutic. Right. I would like to be able to do that with food only, but unfortunately, you know, our soils and our food supply, it just isn't as nutrient rich as it used to be, but that doesn't mean, so for me, for my approach, it's a combination of supplements and food. And then ideally, I'm able to wean the supplements off and then uh, by the, you know, towards later on while you're working with me, then it's just food. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, definitely when it comes to women, a lot of women can be experiencing the thyroid issues. I know myself, that's an issue. Yeah, I found that out. And so there's, it's multifaceted, which makes sense. Now, um, so I'm familiar with the food sensitivity. I've heard that a lot now, but so what, when it comes to the nutrient deficiency, what um, do you use to test that? What, how do you test for that? Uh, I work with a platform called Rupa Health, and that is a sort of like a, a huge database of all of these different companies of um, labs. So um, I have, I've found, um, I a group, I'll just say a group of tests that I've brought together that are um, both economical and um, um, reliable so that I know I can trust them. Okay. Um, so, but it's just a simple like micronutrient panel. Okay. And do you, yeah, no, that's good to know. And do you find that um, magnesium is also one of the things that we're missing a lot of? Cause I've heard that a lot. Yeah. So usually what I find is and unless you're like having cramps, but a lot of people are, you know, um, because when you start having glucose intolerance, then it, it alters how your kidneys filter out, uh, you know, the electrolytes and, and that means water for you. Right. And so, um, if you're exhibiting cramps, then you're most likely deficient in magnesium. 
most of the clients that I see are on the low end of normal. And just because you're within the normal range doesn't mean that you don't need a little bit extra help. Because if we know anything about how those normal ranges were established, it was mainly tested on a certain group of men between a certain age, and they just took up a whole bunch of levels and then averaged them out. And that's how they came up with. So the, the normal levels are pretty vague and not specific to you at all. So maybe you're, you know, right smack dab in the middle, but you don't feel well that level. So we want to, you know, supplement a little and see if we can get you feeling better to really establish what is your normal and where is it within that spectrum that you feel good. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So it could be like getting back to like not eating the three meals a day and eating like more like three meals with a little snacking in between there. It could be that somebody is nutrient deficient. Um, Then what, what about the case where somebody isn't and their body is actually really hungry? You know, like, like I'm thinking myself, like I, it's, it's standard. Like I know I'm going to be hungry at this time, my body, this is what it is. And yeah, maybe I do need to take a nutrient test and it could explore that route. But you know, what I wanted to run by you is that one thing that I've learned is that when I do have a snack nail that I typically tend to go for, um, either a protein or a coupled, um, fat, um, protein, uh, with a fruit. So I'm not just eating mm-hmm. a fruit or, you know, so I tried to do that. And I've noticed a big difference because from what I've heard is that if we're constantly just having like a shot of glucose, let's say I have like a bowl of fruit, then that's going to destroy us more. And just wanted to kind of say, how's that relate to diabetes and all this stuff we're talking about? Yeah. So, um, chemically and biologically, the way it works is if you just ate like a bowl of fruit with like no source of fat or protein, then I like to call that the shot to the liver. So all of that sugar, you know, when we eat it, it is absorbed through the lining of our GI tract straight to the bloodstream and it goes straight to the liver. And so when that happens, again, either your body uses what it needs to, but beyond that, you're, it's going to signal, um, the insulin to be secreted, and then it's going to be stored as fat if it's not getting used. And so this also is what can lead to a fatty liver over time. And so we see, you know, a lot more these days of the non-alcoholic fatty liver. Wow. And people are like, why? I don't even drink. How could, you know, my liver be in this state? And that's really sort of, it's a, it's a carb overload. It's an inflammation, um, problem. A lot of that too can be traced back to um, the seed oils and how inflammatory those seed oils are. Our livers are master filter for our entire body. So it really does so much work for us, both in, you know, excretion, absorption, filtering out what we need, what we don't need. And so it it takes, it, it doesn't, you know, takes quite a beating, if, if you will. And um, so having that unopposed sugar, you know, it doesn't, doesn't have anywhere else to go. And so it's important that if you're going to, you know, apples are fantastic. They're really great detoxifiers. Have some peanut butter, almond butter, you know, um, something like that with it. Uh, you know, I definitely would lean more towards a fat and a protein because that's going to help you stay satiated longer. And so, you know, maybe like a chia seed snack 
or, you know, something that's like really nutrient dense hemp seeds. Uh, you don't, it doesn't have to be meat. If you're a meat eater, you know, have, you can definitely have some, you know, um, unprocessed, uh, uncured bacon if you want, or, you know, avocado. Um, there's so many options out there for healthy snacks. I'm totally not against healthy snacks. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, go ahead. No, that's great. And I, you know, it's like a couple of things come to mind. So like staying away from processed and I know that, you know, ultimately that's what we want to do. And I think ultimately too, it's important to be realistic because there are some things that I know myself that I choose to eat processed because it's easy. And so for example, that might be for me, a grass fed beef stick, um, you know, and I'm like, you know, am I killing myself doing that? Is that a, a better choice than some, um, you know, but we do have to sometimes make these decisions. Oh, no, and... that's definitely better than a Slim Jim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm in right in that boat with you. Like I, let's say like you're on a road trip and you want a snack while you're, you know, driving to wherever you're going to, you stop, you didn't maybe preemptively pack. I do this a lot. <laughs> and so you stop at a gas station where what kind of food is available. Um, so I try to find like a um, nitrate free sort of jerky or something like grass fed beef, you know, something that, you know, is leaning towards as least amount of processed as possible. And, and even if it is processed, what is the way that it's processed? So, you know, looking at that label and say, okay, are there nitrates or preservatives in here? I want to try to stay away from that if all possible. But honestly, I'd much rather have a bag of turkey than a bag of potato chips. Okay. Because the potato chips are what's going to cause the overload. It's going to be the bad stuff for the liver, all that glucose coming in. Okay. Yeah, yeah. M most potato chips, not only are they high in carbohydrates, but they're also um, fried or however they're processed in those seed oils. So again, okay. really paying attention to the label and what that's really hard, actually, like even if you um, I know I've tried to find salad dressings that are quote unquote healthy. But even if you look at like the green goddess or um Newman's own or, you know, the, the organic one, there's so many out there. They still, most of them have like soybean or canola oil, which is so frustrating. So okay. yeah, <laughs> I really like ranch dressing. So that's one of the <laughs> things for me in my pantry that I'm like, all right, I'm going to do the best that I can. And yes. then, you know, try to be really clean in other ways. So again, it's about doing the best you can. It's not about being perfect. Yeah. And I think that's important to hear and for other people to hear too. And because the other thing that if you are not diabetic, but you want to be careful and you don't, it, it, and you know, the doctors are say, or even naturopathic physicians stay away from sugar or desserts. Now, I don't think that's possible for me. And that actually creates a, another issue, a deprivation issue that just is not healthy. And so I have come to terms with, well, if I'm going to have a dessert, I'm going to have a dessert. But is it better? My question for you would be to have that dessert after a meal so that it's not just, you know, you're getting that shot of glucose. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, and I would say too, if you're going to have dessert, enjoy it. Yes. Thank because, you. Because yeah, our thoughts around what we're eating is really important too. So, you know, yeah. when I talk about having a holistic practice for me, that also includes a you know, the health coaching and life coaching aspect of it too. And so like, 
what are your thoughts around having that dessert? Are you beating yourself up about it? Are you stressing yourself out? You know, or are you saying like, this is amazing. This is beautiful. It was made with all these amazing ingredients. I'm really going to enjoy it. And it's just going to complete my, my meal or my evening. And then, you know, and, and that's it, you know? So it's like, how attached are you to, you know, quote unquote, what everybody else is saying or doing or telling you, you know, it's like, let's release that self-judgment. And if it's right for you and it's part of your, your approach that includes moderation, then absolutely it's okay. Yeah, no, that's great. Well said. And so just curious, like how many days a week would you recommend having dessert? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see. I guess my, can I answer the question with a question? Sure. <laughs> um, are you exercising every day? <laughs> yes. Let's assume that we're at least taking a, a walk or a bike ride okay. for 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. Then, so I would say, honestly, you know, depending on what that dessert looks like, you could have something every day. Um, yeah. yes. I'm, I'm a big fan of dark chocolate and, you know, you, it only takes a little bit of dark chocolate to satiate that sweet craving. Uh, so if you get a really good quality chocolate, then you're really probably eating less, um, sweetness or quote bad things than you would if you had like a slice of apple pie, for example, or pumpkin pie, you know, since we just came out sure. of the holidays. So yeah. like, if it's something like that, I'm not opposed at all. Have it every day. Dark chocolate is high in antioxidants. It's great for your serotonin levels. Um, yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, I really like you. And I do do that. I'm a big fan of dark chocolate too. I speak that same language. So yeah. And other things, mm -hmm. ice cream. And now the gluten-free desserts for me, because I'm gluten-free have been something I have to be careful of because I'm like, oh, I can have just this dessert, <laughs> you know, but it, you know, but once in a while. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That that's yeah. helpful for people to hear too. And um, so, so I know you mentioned earlier on, I just want to circle back to the word um, toxic burden and testing for that. And just, I wanted to understand a little bit more about what that test entails and what it is and what you mean by that. So the test I do is a hair test because a lot of the toxins that are in our body are stored in the tissues and they're not circulating through the bloodstream. But because of where they're being stored, they're causing problems. So if you think about uh, mercury, lead, arsenic, you know, there's a lot of bad things that are out there, but they're also um, part of nature. And so it's normal for us to have some and be exposed to a little bit here and there throughout our lives, but it's not normal if we have had, you know, a environmental exposure uh, through work or through, I don't know, I keep seeing, I don't know what this, the news is bringing me all these train neck things with the spills lately. It's so weird. I'm like, oh, there's so many tricks all the time. <laughs> But um, so like if you've lived near a water source that's contaminated, or maybe if you have a well, um, having your water tested to see, you know, and what's coming out of your tap versus like you can test what's in the well versus also what's coming out of your tap to see how good your system is about filtering it out, depending on what kind of system you have. So there's so many different ways. I mean, just breathing the air. If we live in a big city, we're going to be inhaling you know, things that are not good for us, microplastics, um, vinyl compounds, so many things. So a lot of those things, because our liver can only do so much, don't get excreted. 
and they start taking up shop. And then before we know it, we have, you know, all these different mystery symptoms that a doctor can't put their finger on, can't put a diagnosis on. And so I think it's really important to do periodic detoxing on a regular basis. I'm a big fan of sweating. You know, your your skin is your largest detox organ uh, surrounding your body, obviously. And then your liver is the second inside your body. And so to take some of that burden off of your excretion organs, then sweating it out is a great way. Because also your pores are pretty big, relatively speaking, to the other cell linings within your body. And so the bigger chemicals actually come out better through your sweat and your skin than like maybe say your urine or feces. So um, so yeah, so it's a hair test. Oh, and I didn't say why. Because over time, um, you can actually track what your body is trying to excrete through the growth of your hair. So that's okay. a, probably the best way we have to really look at what's going on. There are some more expensive tests out there, but it's really hard to say um, how accurate or comprehensive they are. And so the hair test is pretty inexpensive. And it, t- to me, it tells me what I need to know. Um, yeah. So. yeah, no, that's good. And I know that the detoxing, so like, because I know for me originally, when I had found out that I had the Hashimoto's, I became paranoid about toxins. And then I get in there, reach this level of like, okay, well, you're just going to like lighten up a little bit, do the best you can. And you know, just grow with it because it can be overwhelming. And so then I'm not sweating as much. And so what you said really resonates even at a personal level. level. So I got um, a sauna black blanket so that I get in there and I sweat out. And that's a form of detoxing and that can get rid of some of this stuff is what you're saying. And I like that. Yeah. And like, how frequently should you do that? Is it like once a month, once a week? Does it matter or more is better? Uh, I think... Uh, leaning towards the more is better side. If you have time and you rehydrate appropriately, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of sauna every day. Um, but, you know, at, if you can do it once a week, that's fantastic. And then, you know, if you don't have a sauna available, you can always, you know, draw yourself a nice hot bath with some Epsom salts. And that helps your body detox too, because you do sweat in the water. Um, there, you can also, um, hot tub if you have a you know a spa or a hot tub at your house although I would say you know I would caution with that depending on um how you treat your your spa so um so those are the main ones but then you know if you live in a hot environment just go outside for a walk yeah I know when I lived in the southern southeastern part of the country it's it didn't take much to just step outside and get a good sweat on (laughs) right 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 because all that, the heat is what we, uh, yeah, I love the summer because you can just go outside and sweat. You don't have to worry about any of the other stuff and that's good. Um, and so, yeah, so much good information. You know, it to me from what I'm hearing is that there's a lot of correlation between diabetes and, and also you had mentioned inflammation. Yeah. Yes. And so, and that's through the foods we're eating. A lot of it can be prevented first in addition to lifestyle factors. Yeah. yeah. So stress. So I, there's um usually, and not always, but a lot of times I will I come to this point 
in the program with my clients where they say, I'm doing all the things, I'm doing everything you tell me to, I'm feeling a lot better, but my numbers are still higher than I want them to be. What what gives? Like, what's what are we missing? And so at that point, that's when once they have their baseline and and they're, you know, in the rhythm of of the program, then I look at, let's say, okay, well, what's your stress level? Because when you're stressed, your body is producing, we call them stress hormones, but what are they really? It's cortisol, it's epinephrine, it's norepinephrine. And what happens when your body pumps those out? Then your body also releases glucose for your fight or flight mechanism. So your body can get ready to run. It'll have that food available to it to run is glucose to, you know, pump those muscles, to contract those muscles. Your muscles need glucose to do that. So that's what the glycogen stores are there for. And so if you're stressed, then your body is releasing glucose that it doesn't really need unless you're really going for a run, (laughs) Mm -hmm. then, Mm -hmm. you know, that's different. But if all day long you're in a very stressed out state and your heart rate is elevated, your blood pressure is elevated and your body is pumping out these, you know, stress hormones, then glucose is going to be a byproduct of that. And then therefore we're drive, we're still driving that mechanism of the glucose intolerance forward. I see. So like if you um, manage the stress though, by going for a walk or doing diaphragmatic breathing, then it can diminish that from occurring. So you can intervene. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. All of the, that's what I love about this process in our body is that it's actually all within our control. We just have to figure out what we need to shift in our lives and in our head and in our practices to, to create that balance. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. And there's so much power in, in that and knowing that that's possible because like you said, so we take a case where maybe there's somebody listening today that has had type two by diabetes for a long time, and now they're on medication. So mm-hmm. giving them some hope and, and also speaking to them about what you've seen about this, this can be reversible. It, you know, let's Absolutely. talk that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you're at the point to where maybe you're having some neuropathy symptoms, uh, maybe you're in, you know, even early stages of kidney disease, it goes from stage, you know, one to five, five being the worst. Um, To a certain point, you still, there's still hope. And I don't ever want to take hope away from anyone because I think even if you're at a, you know, in more advanced stage of let's say kidney disease, there's still things that we can do to help you to reduce that inflammation. And maybe even if we can't get you off of the medication totally working with your physician, then we, at least maybe we can decrease some doses. Maybe we can, you know, get you back to the point where, again, feeling good and feeling better than you were from where you started with practitioner like myself or, you know, another functional medicine practitioner near you, if that's, you know, what's most convenient. So um, there's definitely hope, I would say, always. Yeah. You know, that's good because I know there's there's probably people listening that want to know that this can be reversed and, and that you've seen it. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. wow. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Laura. This has been great. You've shared such wonderful information with our audience today and everybody listening. If you want to know more about Dr. Laura May's um, 
what she does and, and where you can find her. I'm going to include the link to her website in this episode. So you have the ability to reach out to her directly. And remember, we do new episodes every week on Wednesday, and I look forward to having you join me then.